Welcome to Unscriptured. I'm Amy, and together we will untangle the Bible, breaking it down as we go. My hope is that this podcast will take away some of the anxiety and the fear that we have when we approach our Bibles. Through each episode, we will learn some of the background and the thought that went into the stories contained in Scripture, so that it is no longer intimidating and off-putting to crack open our Bibles and jump right in. In our last episode, we were reminded of the divine promise of a child for Abraham and Sarah, and we observed as Abraham began to live into his role as patriarch by engaging in theological debate with God over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. In this episode, we will enter the city of Sodom alongside God's angels to see the situation through their eyes. Genesis 19 brings us into the city of Sodom to see firsthand the behaviors that occasioned the outcry that the Lord heard, and we will have the opportunity to judge for ourselves whether there are enough righteous to overturn God's judgment. A little background on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their locations are unknown, but some place them southeast of the Dead Sea, which is an area that lies in a geological rift that extends from Turkey to East Africa, with the Dead Sea being its lowest point, at 1,305 feet below sea level. There are extensive sulfur and bitumen deposits and petrochemical springs in the land there, and many believe that an earthquake with associated fires may have ignited these deposits, producing an explosion that overthrew the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those tales and traditions became wrapped up and woven into the stories of Abraham here in Genesis chapter 19. So let us begin with Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 11. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. He said, Please, my lords, turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you can rise early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the square. But he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, so that we may know them. Lot went out of the door to the men, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Look, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they replied, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and he would play the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near the door to break it down. But the men inside reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the door of the house, both small and great, so that they were unable to find the door. 
Genesis chapter 18 ended with the question of judgment still up in the air. And Genesis chapter 19 begins with the angels entering the city of Sodom. We're left to wonder if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom, if there are enough to deter judgment and save the city. In fact, as we are once again introduced to Lot, we begin to believe it's possible since Lot appears righteous, extending hospitality to the two strangers, much like his uncle Abraham. In portraying Lot's hospitality, the author is hoping that we will compare it to Abraham's at the beginning of Genesis 18, and that we will see that Lot's hospitality, although genuine, is not as gracious as Abraham's. Whereas Abraham ran to meet them, Lot rose to meet them. Whereas Abraham served cakes of choice flour, Lot served unleavened bread. Whereas Abraham stood by them while they ate, at Lot's feast they all eat together. This is our first clue that something is up in Sodom. Our next clue comes just before Lot and the angels turn in for the night. The men of Sodom surround Lot's house and they demand that Lot give his two visitors over to them so that they may sexually assault these two strangers. We're going to get a little political for a moment as we break this passage down. You see, many people have pointed to this passage to claim that Sodom's wickedness was related to homosexuality. But scholars have noted that the wickedness of Sodom consists in the shameful behavior of the men toward these strangers. Rather than exhibiting hospitality and protection, the men of the city seek to rape the strangers, which was a strategy of humiliation in their culture. If they had succeeded in assaulting these strangers, the result could only be described as gang rape, not a private act. The text, therefore, presents the sins of Sodom more as social than individual, something that characterizes the whole city. Another fact to support this claim that the sin of Sodom was more about hospitality than homosexuality is that Lot offers his two daughters to the men of the city to rape and sexually assault as they please. If the sin was really homosexuality, wouldn't Lot have offered men in place of the strangers instead of his own daughters? Now, I do not want to gloss over the fact that Lot's offer of his daughters for sexual assault is also incredibly wrong. In fact, Lot will pay the price for this action a little later in this chapter. You see, despite appearing righteous at the beginning of Genesis chapter 19, we're now to understand that Lot's righteousness has been corrupted by the pervasive wickedness of the city around him. It seems that we have reached the tipping point, where there are not enough righteous people in Sodom to effect salvation for the whole city. In fact, this scene of threatened sexual abuse and violence, both homosexual and heterosexual, constitutes sufficient evidence to move forward with judgment. Despite the pervasive wickedness of the city and its corruption of Lot, we end this passage with the two angels rescuing Lot, pulling him to safety back inside his home, saving him from the violence of the crowd outside his door. 
Furthermore, they strike the men of the city with blindness in preparation for what's to come. We continue with Genesis chapter 19, verses 12 through 23. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or else you will be consumed in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to them, and they brought him out and left him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, they said, Flee for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the hills or else you will be consumed. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords, your servant has found favor with you, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot flee to the hills, for fear the disaster will overtake me and I die. Look, that city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Very well, I grant you this favor too, and will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. In these verses we get a peek at Lot's character. When the Lord revealed the impending destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah to Abraham, Abraham took it seriously, even doing what he could to avert the devastation. Yet when the angels warn Lot about the devastation to come, it seems that he doesn't really believe it's going to happen. In fact, however he breaks the news to his family, they think he's joking with them. Lot is taken for a buffoon even by his own sons-in-law. And when push comes to shove, Lot lingers in the city. The only reason that he and his immediate family are saved is because the angels seized them and forced them out of the city. Even once he is carried outside, there seems to be no real urgency in his step. Lot pleads with the angels to seek sanctuary in one of the nearby cities. And God agrees to his request and waits for Lot and his family to arrive in that city before bringing punishment upon Sodom. Because of Lot, one of the smaller cities to be destroyed is saved from destruction, as are the wicked living there. It's interesting that this small city is saved amidst the overwhelming destruction surrounding it. It seems that Abraham's argument with God for a critical mass of righteous to offset the wickedness of a city has finally been realized. The presence of Lot's family is enough to offset the balance of wickedness in that small city of Zoar and save it from destruction. 
We continue with Genesis chapter 19, verses 24 through 29. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and saw the smoke of the land going up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the plain, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had settled. It is in these verses that we finally witness the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sulfur and fire rain from heaven onto the cities, burning them to the ground. In these verses, we also discover that Lot's wife is not that different from him. Just as he lingered in the preceding verses, his wife lingers here, just long enough to look back and see the destruction firsthand. For this tragic flaw, she becomes part of the landscape of the Dead Sea region, a pillar of salt. I love how the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary states it. She lingers to the point of death. In the morning, after the destruction, Abraham returns to the place where he had stood with God and looked down upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. All that is left is smoke rising to the heavens. We can imagine the awe-inspiring horror of the sight. Abraham, he stands there in silence, and his silence speaks volumes. In spite of his efforts, intercession just could not turn the situation around. Even though Abraham has been called by God to be a blessing to the nations, it is in this moment that he stands there seeing the aftermath that he realizes that not everyone will choose to accept the blessing. Both judgment and rescue witness to the universal work of God the Creator. Let us now conclude Genesis chapter 19 with verses 30 through 38. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and settled in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the world. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, so that we may preserve offspring through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she rose. On the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Look, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, so that we may preserve offspring through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger rose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she rose. 
Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and named him Moab. He is the ancestor of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and named him Ben-Ami. He is the ancestor of the Ammonites to this day. Genesis chapter 19 brings to a conclusion the story of Lot. Lot now leaves the city of Zoar, where he took sanctuary with his daughters during the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They head up into the hills, viewing nothing but destruction all around them. There have been two main schools of thought among interpreters regarding the end of Genesis chapter 19. Most interpreters have seen this as the final stage in a downward spiral, showing the depths to which this man of faith had fallen. Lot meets an end as destructive as the cities from which he is taken, having taken their character in his own life. He is now a person without a home, and the man who had chosen paradise ends up in a barren cave far removed from others, utterly destitute. Other interpreters see the story as a new beginning, however. There are many similarities between this story and the way Noah and his family emerge from the flood. Just as the post-flood role of Noah and his family was to create a way forward, scholars see the actions of Lot's daughters as a way to create a new beginning as they take the initiative to continue the family line. It is in the cave in the hills that Lot is repaid for offering his daughters as sexual objects to the men of Sodom, as they opt to rape him in order to continue their family tree, believing the whole world to have been destroyed. As readers, we know that the daughters' justification for raping their father was wrong. They believed that no one on earth had survived the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but that was not the case. Even still, scripture seems to present Lot as the culpable party in this circumstance, since he had offered his daughters previously for gang rape. Just as in the post-flood narrative, the result is a shameful ancestry for Israel's neighbors, in this case, Moab and Ammon. As we read the last two verses of Genesis 19, we are once again reminded of the power of names. The offspring of Lot and his daughters have names that betray their shameful origins. Moab is a play on a Hebrew word meaning from the father, and Ben-Ami means son of my kinsman. Even though Genesis 19 ends on this illicit note, I want to include some further information. You see, from these ancestral lines that began in shame will come two of the greatest ancestors of Israel, Ruth the Moabite, who is the ancestor of King David, and Nama the Ammonite, who is the mother of King Solomon. Both of these women also function as ancestors in the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah. Even out of the worst of family situations, God can bring goodness, life, and blessing to the world. In our next episode, we will reach a turning point in our story. Of course, before Isaac 
the promised son actually arrives on the scene, the promise of offspring must be thrown into jeopardy once more. But we will witness the first of God's promises to Abraham come to fulfillment. Finally. Catch you next time on Unscriptured. All of our scripture readings in this episode come from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Sources for this episode include the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary, the HarperCollins Study Bible, and the Jewish Study Bible. For more information on how those sources shaped this episode, I encourage you to check out my website, www.unscriptured.com wix.com slash Bible study.